All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see everyone this morning. We are going to continue this morning our study of the book of Proverbs. <clears throat> As I mentioned last week, we are going to primarily be focusing this quarter on the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs and just kind of going through it um, chapter to chapter, verse to verse here. Last week, we talked a little bit about the, just the background of the book of Proverbs in general, its historical context, and I didn't mention those things to bore anybody to death, but it was just to simply give us some sort of reference into where this fits into the history of God's people. And today, we're going to begin with chapter one and just dive right into it. So before we get into our study, let's go ahead and go to God in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord, our God, we are so thankful to be able to assemble here this morning. We are humbled to be your, considered your people and the sheep of your pasture. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and open our ears this morning and open our hearts to hear and receive your word and to glean the wisdom and apply it to our lives that you would have us to as you would see best fit and as is according to your good pleasure. We're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for the hope of heaven. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so last week I handed out an outline, and that was just a, a basic outline of the entire book of Proverbs. And if you have that outline and see the, the first section here, the first seven verses of, the, of chapter one serve as the introduction to the entire collection. So the first seven verses really open up this entire book of Proverbs. And what I'd like to do is just go ahead and read verses one to seven, and then we'll go back and, uh, and make some conclusions and, and see what you think. All right. Says the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, <clears throat> king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay, the Proverbs of Solomon. Last week we talked about Solomon where Solomon's wisdom began, 1 Kings chapter 3, 1 Kings chapter 4. And when God asked Solomon to, for anything he wished for, what did Solomon pray for? What did Solomon ask for in his dream? Wisdom, discernment, understanding. And we talked about the humility that Solomon had to have to ask those things as a king. What does proverb mean? What does that word mean? close. Proverb <clears throat> simply means comparison. 
proverb means a comparison of things, comparing things. Okay, so the Proverbs of Solomon, and Proverbs would be understood as comparing things using figurative language. Language that was rich in imagery, and that's going to be very important in our dealing with this book and understanding that we are dealing with figurative language. So, verses 2 through 6, what was the intention for the writing of this book? What was the reason that the writer put this collection together? To know wisdom and instruction. What does that mean? What does to know wisdom and instruction mean, you think? There is a source. Absolutely, there's a source of wisdom. Absolutely. Brian? Well, I, I think that verses 2 through 6 give us a reason for Proverbs and really the overall purpose of Proverbs. And then verse 7 is to answer your question, instruction is giving us this guidance the direction we should go and wisdom is applying knowledge. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. So as we know Proverbs, we gain knowledge and grow in God's Word. Wisdom is then how do we apply that into our lives with instruction to then be right about something. Absolutely, that's a great point. So to know wisdom instruction, I would just suggest is just a basic stating a, a declaring so it's documented, we can read it. It's given to us to read. Wisdom being this idea of solid, wisdom being based on sound principle, and instruction inferring discipline. So to know what wisdom looks like and to understand what the proper corrective course of action looks like as well. What else? What are some more reasons for the writing of this, uh, this book in the first couple verses here? <clears throat> It can be learned. But it, it's something you have to learn. It's something it's not something that you have to learn to know. Absolutely. And in verse 2 says to understand words of insight. What do you what do you think that is suggesting? To understand words of insight. Understand God's word, Brother Chip? Appreciating um, what you can learn from someone else's experience. Appreciating what we can learn from someone else's experience. Um, you know, I was thinking to understand, you know, Barry had mentioned Second Peter on Wednesday night in chapter 3. Um, and Peter was talking about the wisdom that was given Paul. And he was like, to understand his wisdom... We all have it to read, but you need to be able to understand it. 
And the ignorant and the unstable, what did they do with that wisdom of Paul? They twist his wisdom to their own destruction. Okay, so to understand words of insight being a reason for writing this book, I believe would, would be to imply that Solomon is giving us the tools necessary to understand wisdom. Does that make sense? It's kind of like what Barry said. Uh, when, you're, when Jesus was teaching, he taught in parables. Absolutely. He didn't give them the answer or the meaning of the parable. He just gave the example in a worldly or this world example. And it was to the disciples and apostles who he actually gave the interpretation. That was the insight. Right. That was the insight into the And, and the teaching in parables, very similar to Proverbs. And depending on who you ask, they're almost interchangeable. They are slightly different, but Proverbs and parable, uh, same root word, very, very similar. Uh, so this idea of understanding words of insight, of being able to discern truth between wisdom and folly. What are some more reasons for the writing of this book and putting together this collection? Okay, guidance. Um, and who are we guiding? The people who understand. So what about receiving instruction? Okay, so to know wisdom, but then to receive that wisdom, to receive that instruction and in wise dealing. What, what's the difference there to have it stated versus receiving it? Yes. And it's interesting to me that Holman uh, Bible uses the term receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity. <coughs> That's interesting to me that those three words are used. Because mm -hmm. you think, well, we know that. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously we don't always mm -hmm. know that. Sometimes we have to be taught what, ju what justice is and what integrity is and what righteousness is. Absolutely. Absolutely. You said nail on the head there. The you can hear something or know something intellectually by reading it, but that doesn't mean that you're going to receive it. Okay, we've talked about the parable of the soul in this auditorium recently. It's the same kind of idea. So to be able to willingly accept instruction and apply it to our lives, to walk in these things. And Ms. Belinda mentioned righteousness, justice, and equity. This proper moral path, okay, this is an ideal so to, to know it intellectually, but then to live our lives and to walk in this truth. What are some more reasons given for the writing of this book? Verse 4. <clears throat> okay. To give prudence. Prudence. And... In reading through Proverbs, prudence comes up time and time again. That is one of the main words I think of when I think of the, the book of Proverbs. Prudence. <clears throat> to give prudence to the simple. Okay? And 
this reminded me just because recently in our study of Luke and Luke 16, the parable of the unjust steward, and you remember when Jesus said that the sons of this generation are more shrewd in their dealings with one another than the sons of light, and that meaning perhaps that the sons of this world were wise enough to understand that they need to act now and prepare now for their future self, to put themselves in the best position they can. So how much more God's people should be making preparations now, realizing that we need to get ready for the future and put ourselves on the best path for our future self, okay, an ideal path. Does that make sense? Giving prudence to the simple, and the simple just living their life day to day. They're not, they don't have a long view. They don't have an eternal perspective. Um, what else there in verse 4 was a reason for, for giving this book? Absolutely. So given prudence, given knowledge and discretion to the youth. And from what I can understand, youth literally means youth here, someone, an infant to 20 years old. And, and so we see that it's important to give counsel to young people. And that would seem so obvious. Young people need to be taught. But that's not obvious in our world today, is it? I have many people, kinfolks and friends in my life who have young children. They're like, well, they, you know, they don't want to go to church today, so they don't feel like it, and we're not going to go. Or they, they wanted to do this. Or Young people need to be taught, and that's what Solomon is saying here. We need to give counsel, wise counsel, to the young. Okay? <clears throat> and then in verse 6, to understand a proverb and a saying. Okay? What's the purpose of the book of Proverbs? To understand. What does it mean to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles? What, what is that talking about? It's inferring that there's a wrong way to interpret it. There's a right and a wrong way to, to handle this truth. The words of the wise, and some versions say dark sayings. Okay, why would, why would it say dark sayings there? Why would a proverb and a riddle be hard to understand? Why would that be a dark saying? And why would we need help in how to handle those, those truths? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. That's nail on the head. To, to understand these allegories, to understand not only the allegory, but also the figure that's given. And as, as Evan said, <clears throat> on the surface, when you read some of these proverbs, you may think, 
what is that talking about? What does that mean? But it takes pondering and chewing on it and meditating on it in order to be able to properly discern and apply the right message. Uh, for instance, Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 16 says, To save you from a strange woman and a foreign one. Okay, what does that mean? There's an obvious meaning, okay, to protect you from the harlot. Okay, that's a more literal meaning. But it's also, the allegory is that it's teaching against idolatry. Okay, and, and Proverbs is full of this imagery. So understanding the, the point given, but also the allegory. And to be able to properly deduct these right responses that we are to have to these teachings and apply accurately to our lives um, the truths that are given. Does that make sense? <clears throat> okay, and then who are we talking to? What is the audience of the book of Proverbs? There are four main groups that it seems like this book was written to. Son, and what group would the son be included in? The youth, okay. Who else is this book written to? Husbands and wives, okay? In these first six verses, where would the husbands and wives fall into? I guess that's pretty, that's subjective, depending on who the husband and wife was. Okay, what about the simple? We talked about that. The simple is one of the audiences of this book. <clears throat> simple being someone who is open to receiving influence. They may not have acquired knowledge or wisdom or understanding just yet, but they're at least open to hearing instruction. They're at least open to receiving instruction. They're vulnerable, but they're at least open. They're not a fool. It's a different group of people. We'll talk about that in a minute. Wise, I guess wise. Yes, absolutely. The wise man. So even wise people... As we talked about last week, wise, a wise man doesn't mean someone who has the answer to everything. Actually, it's someone who realizes that they need help and realizes their dependence and is willing to say, I don't know, and to seek the answer to something. So let the wise hear and increase in learning. Okay, the recognition of a need to learn. And then who else is this written to? Those who fear the Lord, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> a man of understanding. It's really not written. Yes. Yeah, we, we mentioned that at the very end of class last week. This, this, uh, this book and these sayings were not given to the fool because the fool rejects them outright and the fool feels that they are wiser than the, than the words of truth. Which brings us to verse 7. In verse 7, as mentioned on the outline, this is the 
key verse for the entire book of Proverbs. So if anybody ever asks, what's the book of Proverbs all about? I don't understand that. You can always say chapter 1, verse 7. That is what the entire book is about. Okay, to f the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And with that, this is the first proverb of the book of Proverbs. Okay, this comparison of a person who fears the Lord versus the fool. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> what does the fear of the Lord mean? What does that mean? Yes, it could. <laughs> Yes. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, I don't want to go off too much on a tangent on that, but we'll, maybe we'll, I'll save it for a minute. But fear of the, of the Lord is kind of a loaded answer, as Brother Chip pointed out. This deep respect. It's not just respect. Um, some people that I've studied with outside of this building who are Christian people, uh, religious neighbors, would say, oh, anytime you see the fear of the Lord, it just means respect. It's like, well, not really. Because that dulls that, this meaning. Because I might respect somebody for, you know, how well they perform at their job, but that's, that doesn't mean I fear them. So, but this reverential awe and also in obedience because of this deep respect uh, think about Job chapter 42, verses 5 and 6. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Okay, the fear of the Lord. This recognition of the, in, the finite and the presence of the infinite. The recognition of sin and the presence of the holy. And the recognition that we all are going to have to come to one day, believers or not, that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is king. That kind of fear of the Lord. And then how does the fool feel about this fearing of the Lord? What's the fool's attitude? Fool despises it. Okay. The, Almost a point where he wishes people would have reverence for him rather than him having reverence for God. Yes. So, so you see this contrast between the, the humility to accept this <clears throat> authority over and governing authority, governing our lives and our actions versus the fool who despises that authority is his own authority, who does not have a deep respect for the Lord. So this contrast between humility and arrogance. Humility and arrogance. We see that over and over again. A fool sees greater value in his own thoughts 
than he does the wisdom coming from the Almighty God. Okay, and we mentioned the fool is different from the simple. The simple just hasn't yet come to a full knowledge of the truth, but they're open. A fool is not open at all. They're closed off. They reject the truth and even mock the truth. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes, absolutely. They make themselves their own God. Absolutely. So there is no such thing as knowledge or wisdom in a fool. That doesn't exist. Because to be wise and to be knowledgeable means you first have to fear the Lord. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 let no one deceive himself. If any among you think that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. So we see this contrasted all through the Bible. And so before we begin our pursuit of wisdom or knowledge, we first have to fear our Creator. And then once we have that fear and realize who we are before the throne of God, then that'll give us the right mindset, the right heart, that'll give us the desire to engage in a pursuit of seeking God and seeking his wisdom, mining the scriptures. It says the beginning of knowledge. Is that where it ends? It's a journey. It's a journey. I think that's important. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 1 John 4, 18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Okay, so perfect love casts out fear. That takes time. That love comes from a relationship and study, wisdom. But in the beginning, the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is always there. We always have that respect. But something greater overrides that fear uh, eventually in our lives. Any thoughts, comments on that? All right. Well, if not, we'll continue on. And this opens up our, our next section. Verse 8 of chapter 1 through the end of chapter 9. Okay, this is all one section here of, of Proverbs. And the picture given here is a father speaking to his son. Okay, a one-sided conversation of a father to his son. And a father, with the mother's instruction as well, given to their son... And it seems that the picture to be the son or sons, I believe chapter 4 references that plural. Uh, the son is perhaps adolescent in age, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, about to go out into the world. And this is the advice that the father and the mother would give to their son to put them on a path that is the ideal and leads to life. And that's what this entire section is about. And what are most 
young boys, 17 to 20 years in age, what are most of those boys in pursuit of? What are most young men after? <laughs> women. And it's pretty straightforward. Most young men in this age are after women. And that's the picture given. And the father knows this. The father says, I, I've been there before. And you need to understand that if you're going to go out into the world, there are two women. Not just two types of women in, in this section, but there are two women. You can either go after Lady Wisdom, and I would implore you to, to seek out her, or you can seek Lady Folly. And so this entire section is, is about that contrast, Lady Wisdom versus Lady Folly. And both women are vying for the attention of this young man. Okay, and, and as we'll see, these are, these are allegories, these are illustrations that illustrate a deeper message that directly applies to all of us in our spiritual lives. Seeking God versus falling prey to, to the world. So let's read verses 8 to 19. Does anybody care to read verses 8 to 19? Thank you, Brother Wayne. <clears throat> okay, the enticement of sinners. Verses 8 and 9. What's the picture given? What's our observation of verses 8 and 9? Listen to your mom and dad. <laughs> Listen to your mom and dad. Um, you know, some people would say that this section is about a, a teacher speaking to his students. The message is still the same regardless. And sadly, just because you're a mother or father doesn't make you wise. And there are a lot of mothers and fathers in the world who are not giving good advice. But this is implying that this father and mother is wise. Listen to the words of your father and your mother. What does it say about the teachings given by the parents. What's the picture given? Garland for your head, this idea of a, a crown, and then a necklace, ornaments for your neck. What does that mean? What's that 
That's, that's an allegory, and what does that image mean to you? Well, they're advices of great value. What's that? They're teachings and advices of great value because they, they fit. Yes, they are a treasure in of themselves. Absolutely. Ms. Cheryl, do you have something? Absolutely, and, and, and that is implied, this, the crown of grace, as other verses in, in Scripture even later on would say, but this encouragement to hear and receive parental instructions, and this idea if you're wearing a crown and you're wearing a necklace, when you leave your father and your mother's house, what do they do if you're wearing them? You're taking it with you, wherever you go, you're wearing it. Okay, what else does it say about the teachings of the parent? Absolutely. So there's everybody can see it. There's um, perhaps a, a beautification. They they make you look good. Okay. Um, and I like that idea of other people seeing you because that's contrasted to the rest of this section here where you, with these teachings, should be an influence on other people. Okay, and that's part of God's plan for us all along versus letting other people influence you. Okay, so all of these ideas... Yes, sir? I read that, that uh, the parents taught you things. But there's a change about your neck. It doesn't mean jewelry. But it means you have restraints. We've taught you rules, and they'll hold you back. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This, that instruction, that discipline of the Lord, absolutely. So all of these things is, are implied and can be rightly deducted from him just saying a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. All of that is said in just a few sentences here, just a few words. And that is the power of figurative language. Because if he just, you think he could have just wrote all of that out? Well, you know, it helps you be an influence to other people. It, it, you know, looks good. You take it with you wherever you go. He could have just written all of that out, but he didn't. He gave the picture. He gave the image. And what might be a reason for figurative language and God's wisdom in giving figurative language in the Scripture? Give insight. Look, have people dwell to think about. Yeah, it, when, when you see a, a picture in your mind, it sticks with you. Okay, rather than maybe just hearing the teaching and you, you might forget it, but figurative language, these pictures, they stick with you. You think of Jesus and parables in the New Testament, they stick with you, those pictures. Yes, sir? Uh, I can't help. Yes. 
and if you have this insight into this instruction, it's helping develop you as a character. God and anything have to deal with causing this. So I can't help but think of Joseph. Yeah, absolutely. It's this, that thought of having favor in front of the, in, in the sight of God and man is absolutely here. Um, what's the enticement in these verses of sin? What are they trying to lure this young man with? What's, what's the attraction? What's that? A fake ornament. Like fame. Yes, sir. It seems to me that one of the enticements to the young is to, to be the good law. Absolutely. To be a part of something. Uh, be accepted by another group. Um, to be recognized um, and appreciated, maybe even complimented. Mm -hmm. for those. And so two things that comes in this section, it says, come with us in verse 11 and in verse uh, 14, throw in your lot with us. Um, the enticement, part of the enticement of this path of Lady Folly is you, you can find a place to belong. You'll be accepted. Absolutely. And, and that is incredibly appealing to young people. To be accepted as part of the group. We'll all have one purse. So in committing these sins, we're all going to pool this. We're all going to share in this. You're one of us. Um, Brother Wayne had mentioned you know, this um, enticement of, of wealth and fame and riches. Verse 13, which will find all precious goods and fill our houses with plunder. How nice would that be, Brother Shane? This is very much to a section that's like bad company corrupting good morals. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we'll get to that in verse, uh, verse 17. We really start. Um, having that come full circle. Um, enticement of having power over other people, taking advantage of innocent people without cause, without reason. Let us swallow them alive like those who go down to the pit. Okay, and how is the young person to avoid this enticement? Don't take, don't take the first step. Hold your foot back. Absolutely. It would be much easier for you to not even begin taking the first step and just know, as Brother Shane had mentioned, what we're getting to here, know where that path leads. And you don't have to wander, because I'm telling you, I've been there, I've done it, many other people have as well. Their path run to evil, and their end is destruction. 
okay, versus the path that I'm trying to give you as a, as a wise father to put you on, on the right path. Verse 17, For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. What, is, what does that mean, you think? If they don't understand they're actually hurting themselves. What's that? They don't understand they're actually hurting themselves. Absolutely. They, they, they don't understand, or maybe they don't care. Um, if you sp spread a net in the sight of a bird, the idea is that if it sees you doing that, it's going to fly away. But these men, they're laying their own trap, and maybe they do understand the consequences, but they're not as wise as the bird, because the bird flies away. And these men just go head first into the trap that they've laid for themselves. Okay, there are consequences to our actions. That's what this, is, this opening section here is teaching. There are two paths, and there are consequences to your actions. There are good consequences on the right path, and the, there's destruction on the other. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Any questions, comments in that section? Okay. Um, when I was printing my notes out, I didn't print out about half my notes. I've been shooting from the hip this morning. But <laughs> um, next week, we're going to continue uh, our study in Proverbs. We're going to pick up in verse 20 um, and try to get through chapter 2 or most of chapter 2. We're getting into this, the call of wisdom. Okay, the call of wisdom. Wisdom is crying aloud in the street. And then through chapter 2, we're seeing this value of wisdom, okay, continuing to describe the wisdom and instruction given by the father and the mother and the value for the son to keep this. Well, thank you everybody for your comments this morning and look forward to continuing our study next week.